Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Thursday edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. OTAs are over. We are barreling towards mandatory minicamp next week. Uh, three days out in Berea where we'll get to watch three practices, talk to maybe some players we haven't gotten to talk to because they haven't been in attendance uh, to this point. Uh, we're going to talk to some position coaches. It's going to be a busy week next week. So what better time to kind of look back on you know, we've watched two practices. We went to the golf outing and, and heard from Deshaun Watson there. We've heard from Kevin a couple times. We've heard from all the coordinators. So there is kind of a lot to pick through here. So I figured let's go through what we've learned, what we've taken away from uh, our short OTA period here. Mary Kay, why don't you start us off with something you've picked up on or learned uh, over the last couple weeks? Well, it, it has something to do with, um, you know, with what I wrote yesterday about Alex Van Pelt talking about Deshaun Watson and how he has improved tenfold since this time last season. I mean, that's a lot of improvement, right? That is a tremendous amount of improvement. And you can't really quantify it at this time of year because they're not in pads and all those kinds of things. But you can see that he's got a a great, tremendous understanding of the offense. You can see that he feels a lot more comfortable with his pass catchers. And the thing to remember right now is Amari Cooper is not practicing in team drills yet. David Njoku is not in team drills yet. I mean, this is a little bit of a a skeleton crew. I mean, there are some guys here, uh, but you don't necessarily have all of your starters out there yet. So I still think the best is yet to come. And of course, we're um, you know, we're all wondering if there is any sort of a chance that uh, D-Hop will end up here. Yesterday, we put it at about 20%. Uh, it's probably not financially feasible, probably not going to happen, but you can never say never. Um, even if he doesn't show up on the Browns doorstep, they have a whole lot going on uh, in that passing game now. If I had to pick a theme of this week outside of DeAndre Hopkins, it probably was because we heard from Deshaun Watson at the golf outing and then we got to watch practice uh, on Wednesday and he looked really sharp, especially as you know, compared to the last time we were out there. It wasn't quite as sharp, but things were happening on time. Some of the throws, I mean, he made a throw to Cedric Tillman that kind of nobody's talking about. That was just this super, I, I just had a good angle of it. This super tight window, like it was covered really well in Cedric Tillman couldn't do anything but catch the football. It was like little things like that. Um, Ashley, if there's a theme, I think, of this week, again, outside of DeAndre Hopkins, it's probably that Deshaun, it's Deshaun Watson being more comfortable and kind of taking ownership of things. Yeah, it's something he obviously talked about, right? And I think I mentioned this yesterday, but after that, you know, in seven-on-seven seven period on Wednesday, when he made that first throw to Marquise Goodwin, that was that deep ball, um, where Goodwin got behind the defense and it w- looked like a touchdown. He did his little bow and arrow celebration. Like that to me is almost as emblematic of of anything that he is so much more comfortable compared to this time last year, which again, we basically had a whole podcast devoted to this. Like he was still this time last year, like didn't know what was going on with the suspension, was still facing about two dozen civil lawsuits because that 24th civil lawsuit was actually announced while we were at the golf outing last year. Like it's all of that things, those things being wrapped up, the suspension was served, you know, he paid the fine, he's going through the counseling. There's still two outstanding civil suits, but it's very different than having more than two dozen of them. And I think just too, it's that more 
being more comfortable in Cleveland in this offense and just getting to know his pass catchers a little bit better and then them adding pass catchers um, who can do things that they didn't have last season, like speedy pass catchers, a guy like Jordan Akins, who has some familiarity with Deshaun Watson because they played together in Houston, a guy like Cedric Tillman, who's a little bit bigger than anybody they previously had in that receiver room. So I think you kind of all just, if we had to sum it up, I think Wednesday was a really nice summation of what OTAs have been and what we've learned these last two weeks, just from an offensive perspective. I mean, we, we talk about, this is going to be a theme of, of this podcast all season, Deshaun Watson and, and how comfortable he looks in this offense. And you know, we just, we touched on a little bit yesterday, kind of trying to dissect what we're seeing in OTAs when there isn't really much of a pass rush, a lot of seven on seven, a lot of installation. Um, it, you know, Jim Schwartz is mixing up his defenses a lot. So it's not always one-on-one or ones versus ones. Sometimes you see the second group out there or another, another set of corners out there. Uh, but how do you kind of, as you're watching Deshaun Watson, what are what are the things you're looking for that make you kind of feel like, okay, this has taken those steps forward, at least to this point that they needed to take? Uh, well, there are a number of things that you can take away from these practices. I would say uh, that one of the things is just, you know, just accuracy. How is the ball coming out and is it going where it's supposed to go? Is it on the ground uh, or are, are receivers catching the ball? So the connection between Deshaun Watson and his receivers has been very, very good. So I think that's that's been important, even though it's a whole lot easier right now without any of the contact, without any of the pads, without any of the rush. It's still has to look good and sharp from that standpoint. And it has, I like to look at footwork. I really, really enjoy watching his footwork because it's so darn good. And he practices it a lot. He really, really works on it. And uh, it's very polished. He's very, very agile in that regard. Um, And, you know, once we get to training camp again, we will see him after some practices, you know, go off to the side and just, drill and rep that footwork over and over and over again. Um, Again, you know, I'm very anxious to see what it's going to look like when Amari gets out there and David Njoku gets out there and Nick Chubb. I mean, your Pro Bowl, you know, some of your best players on offense are not there right now, Um, but it's still looking good. It, You know, I think Elijah Moore and Deshaun are developing a really nice rapport. Uh, And I, I think that's going to be key. I think Elijah is the kind of player that's going to really flourish with Deshaun. And I think the Browns are really excited about him. I think Deshaun is really excited about him. And he's one of the major reasons that if they don't get D-Hop, which they probably won't at this point, that they can still be really excited about how they upgraded their receiving cards. Ashley, what did you take away from, from what we've seen and heard over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, again, I think the offense was like the biggest takeaway from for me. But if I have to, you know, go to the other side of the ball and think about the defense, I think something that was really noticeable to me, and again, with the caveat that we were missing like the biggest name on the defense in these two practices we got to see with Miles Garrett not being there at those ones. Um, it's just like there is more it feels like movement, less designated roles on this defense. And, you know, I know, Dan, yesterday you caught Obo Gronquo standing up and playing like a linebacker at certain points. We talked last week a lot about the safeties and 
Juan Thornhill and Grant Delpit, and they're not really being this true assigned free versus strong safety, um, and those guys changing up who was closer to the line of scrimmage and who was back for this. Um, and then just like the corners, the slot corner stuff, which we've been talking about for weeks. Like, I just feel like, again, I know Mary Kay's brought up the fact that, hey, maybe sometimes you're going to have three to four edge rushers in the game at a time in this system if those are your best players, right? And you're going to want them to go and get after the quarterback. So I just think all of that stuff with, you know, I, I don't know if I like the term positionless because I don't know if it's quite that, but it's just like guys being able to use their versatility a bit more to me, it feels like is like my biggest takeaway. One of my biggest takeaways from the defensive side of the ball. So Mary Kay, I feel like we've been talking about versatility and three safeties and all these linemen for years, and it's just never quite materialized the way we thought it would. And then we show up to these OTAs and we're seeing things like, you know, like Ashley mentioned, Oboe kind of standing up and he was playing linebacker during seven on sevens. And uh, I mean, you just put up a post about what Jim Schwartz was saying about how he was going to use his D line and how he was going to use his safeties. And, you know, we saw Denzel Ward and Juan Thornhill both playing in the slot at the same time uh, on Wednesday. So it feels like, you know, we, we were used to talk about it every single year and then it just sort of never happened. And now here we are in OTAs and we're already starting to see what this could look like, even without, you know, Miles Garrett and, uh, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson hasn't been in there a lot. And I, I think he was not there yesterday. I can't remember. Um, so you were, we're starting to, see, we, we kind of have an idea of what this looks like, even though Jim Schwartz was kind of pumping the brakes on, on what this defense looks like right now, at least, and kind of what he's able to do is, as they sort sort of install this system. Well, he absolutely gave what I described as a peek into his playbook uh, yesterday. We don't really know him very well as a defensive coordinator yet, but he, he outlined some things, and that's what I wrote about in the post that I just put up, how he is going to use his defensive linemen, how he is going to use those safeties. And he's not shy about giving away those state secrets because it's about execution. And he knows that that's what it's all about. So he can tell us some of the things that are, that are going to happen. One of those things are, and we've talked about this a little bit, but one of the things are that he will use five down linemen a fair amount. We haven't seen it yet here, uh, but we're going to start to see it in training camp. Uh, and, and he will get the best players out there on the field at all times. That's why you're going to see Oboe at times playing linebacker because, uh, you know, if you've got five other good defensive linemen to put right up front, uh, then, you know, Oboe might be a linebacker rushing from, you know, an, an OLB standpoint. So, um, so that's one of the things that's going to happen. And when you look up there at that defensive line, there will be times when Zadarius Smith is on the inside or Miles Garrett is on the inside or Dalvin Tomlinson is on the outside or Oboe is back at the next level or whatever the case may be. So that's one of the things that we know he has told us verbally that that is going to happen. So you will be watching for that. Um, and then the other thing that he was willing to say, and again, you know, I, I've been kind of writing this for a while is that they're going to play a lot of three safeties. They're going to play a lot of three safety looks because you need uh, with so many three wides, four wides, and now tight ends that are really actually just like big receivers. You need guys that can handle that and that can cover those guys backs coming out of the backfield, 
tight ends and, you know, that are really more like receivers and whatnot. So they will be playing a lot of more of those three safety looks and they have the horses to do it. They, they can do this. You can, you know, you can move Grant up, you know, down into the box. You can drop him back. You can do the same thing with Juan. You can do the same thing with Rodney McLeod, their third safety, who has played for uh, Jim Schwartz for five years in Philadelphia and knows him as well as anyone on this whole entire defense. Um, so that's what they're going to be doing in the back end. And it really means that there's probably not going to be a lot of times where you have three traditional linebackers, right? I mean, like with all we're talking about, it's like, wait, what about the linebackers? Uh, quite often, I think you'll probably see more of a, a traditional two linebacker look and however else the other math stacks up, it's just not going to be super, super linebacker driven. Um, and then as you guys mentioned, the, the nickel back, that's going to be shared. They're going to share the load. It's not just going to be Greg. Everybody's going to cross train in there. And that was supposed to happen last year, but it didn't get pulled off. That was supposed to happen where Greg wasn't always supposed to be on the inside. And I think that's why he knows this year that he doesn't have to stress about this because he's not going to be the only one that does that job. Yeah. Ash, I mean, it's, as you've watched this defense, um, are, are you surprised by anything you've seen or, or is this sort of what you expected to see? No, I don't think I'm that surprised, quite honestly, from what we've seen before. And again, I think we're like a far way from the final picture. But to me, it's like, yeah, this is like what Jim Schwartz has kind of been known for throughout his career. And it feels like it's just a lot of what we had already heard from him and and things like that. And again, I mean, I think when it comes down to it, the point of the defense that he's trying to do is get those guys up front to the quarterback. I mean, he's talked about that so many times. It feels like already that in the league, like to win and to have a successful, successful defense that that's where the pressure has to come from because of the nature of how the game is called anymore with your DBs against receivers and how good receivers are and how good passing attacks are. So I'm not really surprised. Like if anything, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head for me, Dan, which is like, we spent so much time these last two years, especially talking about, versatility and this was like the first time that I've gone out to a practice and felt like we're actually like seeing it that it's getting accomplished already and I think that's a good sign you know for when we do get to the point where we're moving further along in the preseason okay uh I want to stay on the defensive side and I want to kind of continue down something you were talking about Mary Kay and that is um how the Browns are going to deploy the the nickel position and how you know what they're going to do there with Denzel and Greg and even Martin Emerson and and I guess what got me, what I started to think about, and we've talked about this on, on this podcast as well, Mary Kay, you've mentioned it. So this isn't anything new, but some of this is just like confirmation of what we thought might happen mm -hmm. or what we, you know, what we knew might happen. This idea that the Browns are going to go into each week and be able to just sort of play the matchup game. And Jim Schwartz said uh, on Wednesday that, you know, they might, they're not going to be changing who's playing nickel around in game really, but it is something that could change week to week. And a lot of it will be based on matchups. And when you have three different corners, right? Like Denzel is a smaller, faster guy. Greg has some length. He's not huge, but, but he's, you know, kind of a smaller guy with some length and he has some of Denzel's traits as well. And then you have a big guy like Martin Emerson, you have safeties that can play in there. This really does become a matchup game 
in the secondary. And it's kind of, okay, who are we playing this week? All right, this is how I want to match up with them. It's it's kind of what I've wanted this defense to look like for a while too. I'm just really fascinated by how that's going to play out every single week with these corners and how Jim is going to look at what the other team does and how he's going to sort of play that chess match um, against them. Yes, it will be that. But here's the other thing that stands out to me about this is the fact that Jim Schwartz, the truth of the matter is he doesn't even know yet how he's going to be able to use his players, who's going to respond to, you know, when the lights are on and the fur is flying, who's going to respond in certain situations, who is going to excel in the slot, who's going to be, you know, you know, your best third safety in a certain situation. He doesn't know that yet. He doesn't know his personnel yet. And you can't figure those things out in practice. You can't figure those things out in OTAs. So the first few games are really going to be about really learning his own personnel. And for him, I think it actually will be good to have an early bye week because he's going to need to do an after action report very quickly. He's going to need to, and look, and and he's got to be ready to go with these guys because of playing three AFC North teams in the first four games. Um, So they do have to be ready. But the the truth of the matter is he's not going to know exactly how uh, Defender B is going to respond to Lamar Jackson taking off running and how that's all going to go. So I think it's going to be a work in progress and how they think it's going to go in week two might not be how it ends up going in week six. Yeah, Ashley, this this matchup game in in the secondary, uh, again, I'm really interested in it. I want to see what, what Jim can dial up here. And this is just another one of those things that I was hoping we would see more of last year. Yeah. And I mean, again, I think it's like also, as we've been talking about, like a way to keep everyone happy, right? Like you're not pigeonholing anyone into, you know, inside responsibilities, slot responsibilities, for example, um, and having that be the only thing they do. And I do think, again, it's like, it just is something that has been missing from this defense. And when you think about defensive breakdowns last year um, and the year before that, even earlier in the season, before it kind of turned around in 2021, like it just felt like those adjustments weren't coming, especially last year. And you could just like tell the frustration with guys. So like, again, we're already like preemptively talking about adjustments. That to me is promising because that's what football is now. <laughs> like you you have to be able to adjust on the fly and have guys be versatile and not have them pigeonholed into one set of responsibilities. So I think overall, like it'll not only be better for results, but like happiness among players comes with that for me. All right, let's take a break and then let's see if we can come up with some more things that we've learned here over the last two weeks. I'm back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kate Cabot, Ashley Bastock. Okay, Mary Kate, do you have anything anything else from the last two weeks that you can think of uh, that that you learned, saw, heard, whatever it is? You know what? We should probably talk about the running backs for a minute because we don't really talk too much about that position. Um, but you know, you look out there now, and there's no Kareem Hunt, there's no Dearness Johnson, and there's been no Nick Chubb yet. So, um, you know, so we really haven't gotten a, a tremendous vibe or feel for the, the running game as a whole yet. But w- what we have seen is Jerome Ford getting a whole lot of reps, a whole lot of work, 
and he is really establishing himself and nailing down that number two running back position and sort of that third down back role where he's going to be catching the ball out of the backfield and and doing those kinds of things. So um, I've said this multiple times. I will continue to say it. I believe that they will add another good running back, someone that could go in there and get 100 yards for you if you need him to, the way that Dearness was able to, the way that Kareem was able to. They need another guy like that. Um, so I, I would expect that, you know, that will probably happen sometime between now and the start of training camp. Um, but for the most part, it looks to me like it's going to be Jerome Ford time behind Nick. Yeah, I feel like I haven't paid a ton of attention to the running backs, but when I have looked out there, it's been Jerome Ford. Um, and interestingly, too, Alex Van Pelt kind of put this out there as well on on Wednesday. We need like a name for this. The, the Scott Patsko Dimitrik Felton update segment. Mm-hmm. Well, something like that. The Scott Patsko Memorial Dimitrik Felton update segment. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> We'll yes. uh, we'll we'll figure that out. We'll 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 spitball it a little more. Demetric Felton may be playing some running back, so maybe that's his way onto the team because that wide receiver room is yeah pretty crowded. Ashley, so that's kind of an interesting thing to keep an eye on too. I guess. Yeah, and I mean, I remember like Stump Mitchell last year talking about Demetric Felton and like you know for players' development, right? Like ideally, you would want a guy to like have one set of responsibilities if he's like a tweener or like a I don't know eventual like question mark on a 53-man roster but he talked at length about how Dimitri Felton's strength is his versatility and that they were going to use him how they needed to in the offense and I think it might have just flipped now and, and again it's because that receiver room has gotten a bit crowded but overall I mean I'm with you Dan it's like I feel like I haven't it just wasn't like a main focus for me to be watching without Nick there. But like you, every time I looked up, it was Jerome Ford. Um, so it is interesting. And I do think that the Demetri Felton watch is also interesting because we did see him play receiver at some of these practices too. We did see him catch some passes. So um, yeah, you can expect definitely the Scott Patsko Memorial Demetri Felton updates throughout mini camp and training camp when we get there later in the summer. We got we got to punch that up a little. We got. I know it's too it's out. too wordy. I don't like it. Maybe Scott has yeah. some ideas. You know, yeah, I think we should go. ask Scott. <laughs> <laughs> um, I you know I, I I do think it does worry me. We've talked about receiver. How you know? Okay, what happens if Amari Cooper gets hurt? And Mary, you know, Mary Kay, it does worry me. Kind of like what you were saying. If Nick Chubb misses some games, which has happened, he's missed a couple games here and there. Now you're relying on Jerome Ford to be your primary back. And I know this offense is going to be more open and I know they're going to pass the ball more, but you do still have to be able to just hand the ball off and let a guy run it. And especially if Kevin's defense, I mean, we know he likes to run the football. We know he he loves that run game. So, you know, when you need to burn some clock or whatever it might be, it's, it's nice to have another guy out there that, you know, you can, like you were saying, put out there and he'll get you, you know, 90, a hundred yards. Yeah. Now the good thing about trying to find that guy for the Cleveland Browns is their offensive line is so darn good that you don't have to go out and find an incredibly amazing running back like that has a big name that everybody's heard of. You can probably go uh, find a a really good workmanlike running back that's, you know, that's on somebody's roster that gets released or that's on the free agent. Uh, list right now or somebody that you could trade for for a late round pick and plug him in there and he will make some hay because this offensive line 
is so darn good. There's another aspect of the running game that we need to mention when we're talking about it right now, and that is the fact that they have a running quarterback. So some of your rushing yards are going to come from Deshaun Watson, and those are going to be uh, some of those by design and some of those not by design, Um, but that's going to happen. Uh, They just have to try to come up with the balance between making sure they're utilizing his legs and that skill set and also not putting him in harm's way. So Ashley, did you have anything else from, from the last couple of weeks that stood out? Yeah. Um, we can actually talk about special teams since we haven't Perfect. talked about them a little bit. And Dan, I know you and I have both written about the new kick return rule. And I mean, the short thing on that is it sounds like People don't like it, but no one seems to think it's going to have much of an impact because no one expects teams to just stop returning the ball and only fair catching inside the 25. But for me, bigger picture, it's like this idea that, and I'm going to, if things go according to plan, have a story uh, where I talked to Cade York about working on some of the things he struggled with last year. I came away from yesterday feeling like he and Bubba Ventrone, which obviously how K does is a huge part of this special teams just seem to be on the same page. Like last year when Cade was struggling, he talked about focusing on technique like too late into the season that he was really hammering things home and overly focusing on it to the point that it was negative. It was like, you know, causing him to, you know, make mistakes in game situations. And Bubba basically like said the same thing yesterday, it seemed like. So I think it's really good that we're seeing the new special teams coordinator and this young kicker who did struggle throughout the season kind of on the same page with where he can improve this early. Yeah, let me let me say this. I think Bubba's gonna be great in press conferences. <laughs> he was he had, this was the first time we talked to him since he'd been hired. We had his introductory presser. He was really, really good on the kickoff rule and really good on Kate. And I'm actually gonna the um you know, I, I asked him, what have you, you've been around Cade York. What have you learned about him? And the very first thing he says is great kid, hard worker, very in tune with his mechanics and almost too in tune at times, I would say, which is, you know, kind of what you're getting at there, Ashley. Like maybe he was just overthinking things and Mary Kay it's for Bubba. It's about simplifying it and just, just go out there and do what you've done. You know, ever since you started this thing, like just go kick the football. Yeah, and the great thing about uh, Bubba Ventrone and Jim Schwartz is uh, players are listening to those guys. They really know their jobs. They know what they're talking about. We could do just a whole segment alone on Jim Schwartz and you know what he's been bringing to the table in terms of uh, you know just the the toughness and the yelling and the you know getting right in there in the middle of the drills and all those kinds of things. But um, certainly, Bubba is incredibly good at his job. And I know that Cade York already trusts him. He knows he gets it. He knows that he's in really, really good hands with Bubba. And I think that's going to give him a tremendous amount of confidence. And that's sometimes what a young kicker needs more than anything is to know that somebody believes in you and somebody is absolutely a hundred percent confident that you can get the job done. And I think that bubble will help instill that in him and that he's going to come back with a different sort of mindset in 2023, where he's matured a little bit, where he's grown up a little bit, where that whole, all of that rookie stuff that is gets inside your head is probably going to dissipate. I think, I really think it will. So yeah, Bubba is fun to watch coach. I mean, he'll take off running down the sideline 
Jim Schwartz, you know, he's, you know, he's right there, uh, you know, right smack dab in the middle of things, yelling things that we're not allowed to report, but wish we could. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a new, there's two new sheriffs in town and they're doing a great job. I've, I've said it before between Schwartz, Bubba and Kevin, this is definitely the most in shape the Browns coaching staff has ever been. <laughs> um, there's, there's no doubt about that. I did, you know, so we talked about the new kickoff rule and I am just curious before we go, um, kind of if, if either of you have any thoughts on, on this rule where you can fair catch it and just take the ball at the 25. And I, you know, I think it's, as I was writing that story today, I kind of w- went back and looked at the changes the NFL has made over the years. And they're kind of trying to put the genie back in the bottle a little bit because they spent like 30 years trying to make the kickoff more exciting. You know, I mean, they they moved the they moved the kickoff line back to the 30 and they wanted to encourage more and more returns. And then we get to the 2010s. And of course, people are more aware of concussions and, and those things. And now they're trying to kind of roll a lot of that back. Um this is a rule that's been in the college game since 2018, I believe it is. I think that's when they first passed it. I, I I don't love it, but honestly, the kickoff has become so boring anyway. I don't want them to do away with the kickoff because it just feels right to like start a game with the kickoff, even if it goes out of the end zone. But also, like Mary Kay, player safety, like it does matter. And even if players and coaches don't love it, the league does have a responsibility to protect players. So I don't know. I, I still need to kind of see it in action, I guess, before I can say I I hate the rule and it's just made things too boring because I, I don't know yet. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think they really need to, to dig into the analytics. And I really do think that uh, special teams coordinators like Bubba and his, his uh, cohorts in the NFL – if they don't think that this is supported by the analytics and the data, then they need to try to present those facts and fight for what they want. I do. I'm all about player safety. I've seen too many guys with concussions. I've seen too many uh, former players like Bernie Kosar really struggling uh, with concussions in their, uh, in their later years. And so certainly anything that improves the safety of the game, I'm all for it. And I have also mentioned that, in a situation like this, put those concussion those concussion helmets on them if they have to, you know, try those things on and and see if that works. But you know, let's see how it goes uh, out out there on the grass. See what the unintended consequences are and the intended consequences are for a little bit, and then pivot from there if necessary. Yeah, I think that's the key. The NFL's got to be able to like it can go too far. I think we've seen that with, with roughing the passer. I mean, we under, I understand why you want to protect quarterbacks because that's where the money's made. Everybody tunes in to watch quarterbacks, but sometimes we see some roughing calls where it's like, are we sure we want that in the game? So, you know, the NFL has to be able to pivot away from maybe things that go a little too far. I don't know if this is going to be a, a case of that, Ashley, and somebody's going to find a loophole. So, somebody's going to figure sure. out a way to, to <laughs> take advantage of this rule. Yeah, and... Well, first of all, too, like this rule is in place for this upcoming season only. Like right now it's a temporary rule. So I think there is like a way in theory for, for them to change things or, you know, backtrack on this a little bit if, if it doesn't work. But I think, too, to Mary Kay's point, like about the concussions, like this is such an important aspect, I think, of this, you know, particular phase in special teams. And 
like the league has a model, right? And like it, in the story I wrote yesterday where I talked to Cade, the model that the league presented was something to the effect that they think like returns will drop from about 38% of the time right now to 31% of the time. And they expect that to drop concussions by like 15%. So I think what we've seen so far is players don't really like this rule. The special teams coordinators don't like this rule, which Bubba Ventrone talked about at length yesterday. So I just think like, it has the data has to be like shared with them and explained to these guys like hey like this is what we found when we did this so so we're keeping it or we're not keeping it like whatever um because i do think that's like an important part and there is like some responsibility there when you make a rule like this to help prevent concussions in this aspect of the game now i thought cade made a good point to me he's like i don't really know how much like collisions this is going to stop just because like the guys who are who are rushing at that guy, like they might not be able to see the fair catch right away. Like they might still run into him. So I do just wonder, like, is it really going to change the game that much? I don't know. And that's kind of why I'm like, okay with it. Like I'm not overly bothered by it because everyone also said, look, like, I don't know how much of an impact this is actually going to have in terms of the game because teams are still going to want to be aggressive and get good field position. Unless like Kate York said, like, Maybe if the team has a huge lead, they're going to want to take advantage in that way. But I don't think it's going to be this huge, huge change that we're noticing all the time. Yeah, and Bubba said on on Wednesday that he doesn't think they're going to take advantage of the rule, really. That they're going to fair catch it, that they're going to want to return. So, again, we'll see. Uh, A lot of people hate it now, but who knows? (laughs) Again, somebody's going to find a loophole. Somebody's going to take advantage of it. And uh, we'll, we'll kind of see how it plays out in practice once we actually get to see some games and, and they get some of the some of the finer things uh, ironed out with that rule. Okay, uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you're not already, and also become a Football Insider subscriber. You get a newsletter. You can become one of our texters, and uh, you get access to exclusive stories on Cleveland.com/slash/Browns. You just go to Cleveland.com/slash/Browns and click on the blue banner at the top of the page. And I've been telling you, you get subscribed to our YouTube channel. Search Cleveland Browns on Cleveland.com on YouTube to find it. For Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening. Everybody.